0: Mark's gospel, I love how it opens up. I am going to be preaching from Mark chapter 10, so if you want to put your finger in there, you can. Um, but I love how it opens up. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Mark says that this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And, and, and I don't know about you, but I used to read that and think what that meant was page 1 was the beginning. All right, This is the beginning, and by the time you get to the end of the gospel, you would have known at all. But I don't know if you realize this, but the more you discover about Jesus, the, the, the less you actually realize you knew. Do you know that? And, and actually what I've come to realize is when Mark says this is the beginning about the good news of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, what he means is this whole gospel, this whole book that you're reading is just the beginning. It's just the beginning of the good news about Jesus. Because when you come to know him, you discover there's so much depth to who he is. There's so much to what he wants to do. Um, and this is just the beginning. Um, and I, I love um, each story in Mark's gospel just points you to Jesus. It just, each little, Mark's gospel is full of lots of little stories, isn't it? And, and each little story is like, look at Jesus look at who he is. Did you know this about him? Did you know this about him? And I love that David's preached two weeks ago. Um, He basically went through chapters one to three and looked at each little story and pulled something out of each little story about who Jesus is. He, He is the Messiah. It was prophesied about him. He is the one who forgives our sins. Wow. And David ended up with about 10, 15 or so he started numbering them and after a while he did like John does in his gospel with the miracles he just stopped numbering them and he just kind of kept going and 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 there was all these things that he pulled out about who Jesus was and I was like yes come on this is who he is he's amazing he's amazing and then last week Chris I started talking about suffering and I was like oh this is going to be a heavy one but man was it good and why was it good because it was pointing to Jesus, right? And because Jesus is the one who meets us in our suffering. And through the suffering of Jesus, there is hope and there is freedom and there is life. I was like, come on, Chris. Yes, yes. All of the stories in the Gospel of Mark, they just point to Jesus. And each one of them is like, did you know this about him? Did you know this about him? Did you know this about him? Uh, well, I was on holiday... I was reading a um, book by a theologian called Karl Barth, because that's the kind of thing I like to do when I'm on holiday. Um, yeah. But uh, this this guy Karl Barth was a great theologian from uh, the 1900s, and um, I was reading just what what they would call was his simple book on theology. It was it was called. Um, uh, an introduction to evangelical theology. Um, and it's his one of his smaller, more simple books. And I had to reread several of the pages quite a few times. Do you know, you're doing that, you're reading, you're like, what? what? And you have to go back and read it again. It was a bit like that, but it was incredible. And I think I not as much as I love Jesus or my wife, but I think I love Karl Barth a little bit because he loves Jesus. He loves Jesus. And, and when he writes about it, he's like, it, it basically what he says is this theology. Which, by the way, Theo means God and Logos means words. So God words, okay? This is what theology is. We all do theology. We all talk about God with a language that makes sense to us about who he is. And basically, he says, theology is all about him. It's all about him. And, and it relates to us as humans in as much as we are his. Do you see that? I, I, I just, it just struck me again. I was like, that's so good. That's so good because how often when we read the Bible and we do words about God, we try and understand words about God, do we read the Bible and we go, what does this say about me? What does this speak to me? What does this tell me about me? And actually, I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again and I'll probably say it many, many more times, but the Bible, the word of God is all about him. And you might be thinking, yeah, but isn't it going to speak to me? Shouldn't it say something to me? But but here's the thing, right? When we start realizing that it's all about him, it actually becomes even more amazing for us. Because we discover that the king, the creator, he came down to become one of us and gave himself to meet with us and to die for us so that we might have life in him. All that life and forgiveness and freedom and grace and hope and healing that you're looking for is all wrapped up in the person of Jesus. And so when we start making it all about Jesus, we actually discover all the stuff that we're really looking for in the depths of our hearts. But when we keep looking for it for ourselves in a kind of, oh, I need to find this for me, we actually end up not discovering any of it at all. We know it's there, but it doesn't quite land. It doesn't quite make sense. Well, I've been following this. I've been coming to church for years and years and years. And, and why is it? It's not quite clicking. I've not quite got free from this thing yet. What is going on? I wonder if it's because we've been making it about us and not about Jesus. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the King, the Anointed One, the Son of God. Not the beginning of the good news about me, or you, or our world, but the beginning of the good news about Jesus. And the great thing is, is that the good news about Jesus becomes good news for everybody when we realize that he is the one who's above it all. He's enthroned above it all. And when we bring our lives under him, boom, boom, it's amazing. I could stop there, but we haven't got to Mark 10 yet, so... Um, how's that for an introduction? Is that okay? It's all about Jesus. And that's basically what I want to say today. Um, But open with me, if you will, to Mark chapter 10. I'm going to read from verse 13 down to verse 27. You might think that's a bit weird because they're two different stories, but as we get further in, hopefully we'll see the connection. (laughs) But here we go. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he said, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that when you speak, there is life, there is hope, there is light, there is freedom. I thank you, God, that you have the words of eternal life. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And I pray, Lord, now that as we hang out in these scriptures together and we unpack this stuff, that by your spirit, you would be stirring in us life, speaking to us life, that you would be drawing us to yourself. Come and speak to each one of our hearts, I pray. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay. Um, So, um, I, I feel like I've read this passage many, many times. Anybody else? Like this is a quite a familiar one. So if you've been around church for a long time, you probably heard the story of the rich young ruler and what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God. And yet this time when I read it, there were some things that jumped out at me that jumped out at me in a new way. And I love that because it's the living word, right? Like God speaks afresh all the time through it. And something jumped out at me. Um, And the first thing that jumped out at me was this. You notice the bit when the guy comes running up to him and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus' response, it's such a shocking response, isn't it? I don't know if you've thought about this before, but what a random response to give back to the guy. He's asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, And Jesus turns around and says, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God. And, and I'll be honest with you, I, over the years, have been like, what a weird response. I'm like, did Jesus just forget who he was for a moment? Because to me, it read like this. Why do you call me good? No one is good except for God. And I'm like, but Jesus, you are God. Like, wh- what? Like, did you just forget? Like, wh- what's he getting at? And when I read it this time, I was like, oh, maybe I've been putting the emphasis in the wrong place. I've been putting the emphasis on the, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God. And this time when I read it, I put the emphasis on a different word, and I read it like this. Why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? No one is good except for God. And it it dawned on me, it dawned on me in that moment I think what Jesus is doing is saying to this guy, who do you say I am? He's saying to this guy, have you grasped it? Do you understand? Do you know who I am? Why do you call me good? What is it that you have seen? What is it that you have heard? What is it that is stirring in your heart that is causing you to call me good? No one is good except for God. Have you understood who I am? And I was like, wow, wow. And and guys, it challenged me. And I I want this just to sit with you guys as well. Why do you call Jesus good? Each one of you in this place today. We just sang, you're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. Why do you call him lovely? Why do you call him worthy? Why do you say that he's altogether wonderful to you? Have you truly understood who he is? Or are we just throwing these words at Jesus because of who we want to be? Good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? How do I get that? What must I do? What must I do? Have you understood? And it's fascinating to me because Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? Only God is good. You know the commandments, boom, 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 boom. And then the guy replies. Look at the guy's reply, right? Cast your eyes down to verse 20. What does he say back to him? Teacher, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Well, it's what he didn't say this time. Good. He didn't say, good teacher. He just said, teacher. So he comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Do you know who I am? Are you recognizing that I am he, that I am the one, the way, the truth and the life are you recognizing that I am God? You know the commandments, boom, 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 boom. And then the guy goes, teacher, all of these I've kept since I was a boy. What's he saying? No. No, I'm, I'm not ready and willing to accept that you are good. I'd like to learn from you, but I'd like to learn from you so that I can take what you teach and choose the bits I like And hopefully get what I want to get, but I don't really want you to be God. Because if you're God, that means I need to obey you. If you're God, that means I need to submit to you. If you're God, that means it's not about what I want, but about what you want. Because you are the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who's seated on heaven's throne. You're the holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. And I am but a worm. So no, I'm just going to call you teacher if that's okay and I wonder for us like have we recognized who Jesus is do you live your life like you know who he is would you pay him lip service and call him the right things when we worship there's so many stories throughout John uh, throughout Mark's gospel And, and in the gospel there's so many stories that are all about who Jesus is and you see it people get it they're like if you are willing you can heal me I, I know who you are. I put my trust in you. If I could just reach out and touch his cloak, I would be clean because I believe who he is. Right? Do you notice when Jesus went to his hometown um, and i 'm um, off script already. <laughs> you notice when Jesus went to his hometown I'm getting excited sorry it's all about Jesus boom boom um but when Jesus went to his hometown and 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 and, and he starts trying to do miracles and and they they 're like isn 't this the the brother of these people, the son of these people isn 't this the carpenter isn't and they they start naming all these things that they think that Jesus is, and then it says that jesus Couldn't do many miracles there with one of my favorite lines in the Bible ever, which is, except for put his hands on a few people and heal them, because they didn't have much faith. And I'm like, oh, what what is that, that much faith? Well, what does the story tell us? They didn't recognize who he was. They weren't convinced that he was God. They thought he was the brother of this person, that this person was their sister, that he was the son of this person, that he was the carpenter, but that's all we want him to be. We don't really want this guy that we know to be God. I wonder, why do you call him the things that you call him? I think, um, yeah, the the problem with this guy is, is that he wants what Jesus has to offer, but he doesn't want to offer himself to Jesus. Do you see that? He wants what Jesus has to offer. But doesn't want to offer himself to Jesus because Jesus says, "If you love me, John 14:15. If you love me, you will obey me." 1 John 5: verse 3 says, "And this is love for God, that we obey Him." Oof. Why is this important? Why is this important? This is important because of what He's asking for. It's important because of what he's asking for. He's asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life, right? Mark's gospel tells us at the beginning that Jesus went around declaring the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. And he healed people and he set them free and he forgave their sins. And everywhere he went, he brought hope and he brought peace and he brought joy. And this guy's got all this money, all this wealth, all these riches. And he's heard about what Jesus has come declaring. And he's like, I want me some of that. I want some of that. And so he comes to Jesus and he's asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, um, I want to talk a little bit about the word eternal in Greek, if that's okay. Um, and the reason for that is because we, um, we hear that phrase what must I do to inherit eternal life? And we instantly start thinking, what must I do to live forever? Okay, that's how we understand that phrase. And hear me, I'm not saying that that isn't what it means. I'm just saying there's a bigger meaning to it than just that. Okay, so does it mean that we will live forever with him? I believe so. I believe so but actually the Greek word eternal, it is a much bigger word than just ongoing life. It, it comes, the Greek word is, is this word, I can't even know if I'm pronouncing this properly, um, ion, ionis, Ionios, Ionios. It comes from the word ion, which is where we get the word eons from, you know, like eons and eons, it just goes on, and it means age, it literally means age. The word eternal in Greek that we translate to eternal literally means age. It doesn't just mean forever, it does mean kind of ongoing, as in like the ongoing age, like to go on forever, but it means age. And an age is, is a particular period that is defined by a, um, by a character or a quality. An age is a period defined by a character or a quality. I bet you can all think of different ages throughout history, right? And when you think about them, you start thinking about lots of different things. Okay, 80s, the age of the 80s, what do you think of? mullets. What, sorry? Say that again? Oh, Oh, your son was born. Yeah, great. Okay, love that one. What else in the 80s? Like strange shaped rock guitars and all kinds of things. We could go back through all the ages. I won't because some of them, we get to the 60s and there's some strange things that characterize that period. Uh, but, But there's... All kinds of things that each age has a certain characteristic to it, doesn't it? Um, You go back to the uh, Elizabethan age or the Victorian age and you start thinking about things that came from that age. There are certain things that characterize uh, that age They had certain qualities about them. Whether it be good or bad, these ages had qualities. And and what you'll notice is that a quality or a characteristic comes from a person. Comes from a person. So you might think back to the 80s and you might think of mullets and rock guitars or uh, there was a song by a band called Aqua. Do you guys, anyone remember Aqua? They did the song Barbie Girl. It was a terrible, terrible song. But they also did a song called Back to the 80s which I absolutely love and it talks about Huey Lewis doing the news and Michael Jackson and all the various things that were going on in the 80s and very, very American but it's a very, very good song um, if you like cheesy pop. Anyway, side note, um, it characterizes the 80s and all the things it talks about are all about People, so okay, you might think of crazy mullets, but why do we think of mullets? Because people had them. Uh, Fyi, Emily says I'm not allowed to grow a mullet, but I would quite like to have one. So watch this space. Um, I'm praying over her. Um, yeah, but um, characteristics come from people, and and so all these different ages are characterized by people. So when this guy is saying, he, he's saying, "Hey, I want to inherit this this Ionias." this age of life, which we translate eternal life, he's saying, I want to receive the characteristics of life that you're talking about, that you're bringing to people's lives. I want that. And what is the characteristic that Jesus is bringing to people's lives? Hope, freedom, healing, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. He's bringing the fruit of the Spirit. He's bringing life. He's bringing the very characteristics of this person that we know called Yahweh, of God himself. These are characteristics of God. And God defines this particular age of heaven, this kingdom of God. And and this guy's saying, I want this. I want this in my life. It's not just simply everlasting life, but it's fullness of life. Jesus says in John 10, 10, I have come that they may have life and life in all of its fullness. It's a certain characteristic that this guy is longing for. I want what I've seen you doing in these other people. And actually the reality is is that characteristic comes from a person, not just from a space and time, but from a person that defines that space and time from God himself. Jesus says in, in John 17, verse 3, he defines eternal life for us, right? He says, this is eternal life, that they know you, God. Hang on a minute. Jesus doesn't say eternal life is just living forever. He says eternal life is that they know you, God. This fullness of life, this age, this eternalness, this, this, this vastness is all caught up in this one person, God. God. How do we receive eternal life? By knowing him. By knowing him. And so so Jesus, he he responds to this guy after he asks for eternal life. So we've clarified what it is he's wanting, right? He's wanting this that he sees, this life that Jesus is bringing. And we know that that's wrapped up in the person of God. And, And Jesus turns around to him and says, hey, well, you know the commands. And if you look in your Bible now, you will see that Jesus lists six commands. Okay, he says... Uh, Where are they? Verse 19, you know the commands. You shall not murder, check. You shall not commit adultery, check. You shall not steal, check. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. That's a, that's a funny one, that one there. We think, hang on a minute, I don't remember that from Exodus. But that language of defraud is basically like you shall not covet. So to defraud is to, to take from that is not yours, to covet something that is not yours. So that's that command in case you were thinking, that's unfamiliar. Um, so you shall not covet and honor your father and mother. And the guy sometimes like, teacher, all these I've done, all these I have done since I was a boy. Do you notice which commands are not there? Because there are 10 and that's just six. So we're missing some. Which commands are missing from that list? The ones about God. The ones about God. Have no other gods before me. Do not use his name in vain. Keep the Sabbath holy. That's about space with God. They're all the ones about God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And so Jesus puts the commands out there, and the guy says, I've done all these. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, hey, teacher, you missed off four. (laughs) You missed four. He just says, I've done those. Check. I've done them. Turn your Bible to Mark chapter 12. There's another story here about commands. Commands. And um, Jesus has just been talking with the Sadducees about resurrection. Um, And in verse 28, it says this. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, that's Jesus and the Sadducees, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. God. Do you notice the difference in these two stories? Do you notice in the first story, Jesus lists off these six commands that are all about what you do. And the guy's like, I've done all of these, but he missed off the ones about who you know, right? And then in this story in Mark 12, he talks about loving the Lord your God with all your heart. This is the greatest command. And when the guy responds and says, yeah, I agree with that. That is absolutely right. Jesus says to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Why? Because the kingdom of God comes through knowing the one who is king of it, not through what you do to try and get yourself into it. Um, Eternal life is not about what you do but about who you know because eternal life is about the characteristic of a certain age, a certain kingdom that we call the kingdom of heaven. And that kingdom is defined by the character of the one who is king of it, who is Jesus. And and because of that, it's when we know him that we receive all that stuff. When we have relationship with him that we come to know it. How do we come to know it? How do we come to know it? I, this is a little side note, but I was just dwelling on this this week. Um, I think, what I find fascinating about these two stories is that Jesus brings it back to Scripture. Do you see, do you see that? Jesus says, you know the commands, and he says, the greatest command is this, and the, and the ones about God, these are the ones. This gets you near to the kingdom of God. And actually, I was just dwelling on this. Knowing Scripture brings you near to Jesus, It's not a very popular view in today's age, all right? But I want to put it out there for you, church, and it is is my job to keep banging on about this. And this is why we're reading the Bible every day, and if if you're not doing it, I want to encourage you to join in. Knowing Scripture helps you to know Jesus. Scripture is the primary revelation of who he is, okay? And if we don't know who Jesus is from the Gospels, we start to create a Jesus that we want to believe in, rather than the the Jesus that he actually is. When we read the Gospels and we discover who Jesus really is, we start to be able to make space in our lives for the real risen Jesus, not for the Jesus that we kind of would like him to be. So I want to encourage you, read the scriptures. Fall in love with Jesus again and again and again and again keep reading. Even if you just read Mark's gospel over and over and over, I've been doing that since we finished Mark's gospel. I've been reading it every day, eight chapters one day, eight the next day, just reading it because I was blown away at who he was. Just even if you read just a couple of the little stories, however you read it, read it and get to know him and make space in your life for that Jesus because that's The Jesus that came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's the Jesus that gave himself to die for us. That's the Jesus that conquered death and rose up from the grave and now sits on heaven's throne. That's the only Jesus. The only way. The only truth. The only life. Jesus says there are times that are coming after him where people will come and say, here is the Messiah. There is the Messiah. How do we know who the Messiah really is and what he's really like? Because those who walked with him wrote it down. It's right here. And so we can know him. And we can let the real, true Jesus come and live in our lives. Come and live in our lives. So, are you with me so far? Yeah? Fantastic. Um, I'm going to wrap up on this one. This is point three. So point one was about who, who do you say he is? Point two was about eternal life, okay? This longing for eternal life. Uh, and the third point then is this. Um, I love Jesus' response to the guy after this. And I love it because there's a verse that I feel like I never saw this verse before. Do you ever have that? You've read it hundreds of times and you see something. You're like, how did I miss that? Like, cast your eyes down to, to verse 21. Oh, these words. After the guy says, teacher, I've done all of this since I was a boy. Like I've been trying. I've been striving. I've been trying to keep it all. I've been trying to live right. And yet I'm coming, this guy's coming to him asking, what must I do to inherit it? Because I've been doing all these things and yet somehow I still don't have it. I still don't experience that love, that joy, that peace, that freedom that I see you bringing to other people. And I've been trying to do all this stuff. And it just says this, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Wow. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Those words blew me away. Jesus looks at you and he loves you. He loves you. What does that mean? What does that mean? The, the word looked at in the Greek, it literally means to stare with intent um, or to gaze deeply. It basically means this. Jesus just didn't, didn't just look at him. He looked at him. He saw who this guy was. He's like, I see you. I see what you've been carrying. I see what you're longing for. I see how you've been struggling to to embrace that. And I see all this stuff that's filled up your life. I see you. I see you. Some of you need to hear that Jesus is saying that to you today. I see you. I see you. And then it says he loved him. And the Greek word that's used here for love, there are seven different Greek words for love. But this word is the word agape. It's like perfect love. It's the love of God. And agape is a really interesting word, right? Um, it's an interesting type of love because it's not, it's not a feelings love. It's not an emotional love like, oh, you know, I remember the first night that I met Emily and I just felt, you know, the butterflies thing. And I was like, I'm going to marry this girl. You know, it's not, it's not that feeling love. Agape is a different kind of love. It is a far superior love. It is a love that says, I choose you. I choose you. It's a love that says, no matter what you do, you haven't done anything to stir my feelings, but I choose to love you. I choose to prefer you. That's literally what it means, to prefer I choose to prefer you. That means that Jesus looked at this guy. He saw the longing of this guy's heart, and he saw the struggle that this guy had, and he saw where this guy was at and who he was, and Jesus said, I'm going to choose to do the best for you right now that you could possibly hope for. I am going to choose to prefer you, to lift you up, to put you first, and to give you something that you might not even deserve, but I'm choosing to do it. That's what that means. Jesus chose to do the best for this guy that he could possibly have done for him. And so what does he do? What does he do? How does he love him? He looked at him, he saw him, and he loved him. How does he love him? He turns around to the guy and he says, one thing you lack. I'm like, that doesn't sound very loving. (laughs) I'm like, ooh, that that offends me a little bit. How dare you say that I lack something? You know? I I imagine if Jesus says that to someone in our culture, that's probably what they'd respond with. Right? Right? But he says, one thing you lack. Go and sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Hear Jesus' heart. His heart is, come and be near to me. Come and receive all that you want. You want the kingdom of heaven? That's me. That's who I am. And I want you to have that. Come and be with me. But while you're carrying all this stuff, you're not going to have room for me. You're not going to have room for me. And so Jesus loved him, and he loved him. He doesn't love him just by saying, hey, do you know what? I accept you and affirm you as you are. He doesn't do that. That's not the love that Jesus gives. The love that Jesus gives is even better than that. Jesus' love says, I see where you're at, and, 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 and I'm telling you this. I want you to have the deepest desires of your heart. I want you to embrace all that I have to give you, and I have so much to give you. But let me tell you now, you're holding on to a load of things that are stopping you. Hold on to me. And so I'm telling you the truth. He calls out the truth in that guy's life. And he says, there are some things that you need to walk away from. There are some things that you need to let go of. There are some things that you need to put down. And if you do that, I've got so much to give you. I'm going to give you more than you're going to lose when you put this stuff down. Because I have the fullness of life. Jesus loved him enough to tell him the truth, to call out in him the things that were stopping him encounter this eternal life that he deeply longed for. And so what are these things? Jesus says to him, to, 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 leave, um, to leave his great wealth or his riches. And, and, and the word in Greek for riches, this great wealth is riches, is an interesting word. I looked it up and I was like, oh, that's not what I was expecting. But it doesn't mean just money or value of something. The the actual Greek word for riches, it means literally for use. For use is the meaning of this this word in Greek. So so Jesus says, I want you to go and get rid of all these things that you have for your own use. Does does that make sense? All the things that you have acquired for your own use, I want you to lay them down. I want you to get rid of them. And and I was like, that's really interesting because it can mean money and it can mean possessions. And there may be those of us in this room today that that money has become bigger for us than God. That possessions are more important to us than God. That if that thing was taken, Jesus just wouldn't be enough. I need that thing as well. And, And actually, maybe that's something that some of us need to lay down. Maybe there are some things that some of us need to get rid of. So that we can actually have the fullness that Jesus wants us to have. But also, it could mean people. It could mean family and friends. It could mean The people that have become more important to you. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. If any of you love someone more than me, you're not worthy of me. (sighs) Wow. (sighs) Who's the most important person in your life? Is it Jesus? Is it Jesus? You you remember the story back in Mark 1 when James and John, the, the, the sons of Zebedee, are fishing and Jesus goes and calls them. They didn't just leave their nets. They left their father and they went to be with Jesus. Jesus sometimes calls us to lay down the things that we have made for our use. What about um, status or reputation, be it good or bad, um, or or job? Our status, our reputation, our job. When Jesus uh, calls Levi, he's a tax collector in Mark chapter 2. He's got status in, in the Roman world. He's got wealth. He's got a secure job. And Jesus says, come, follow me. And Levi just abandons his tax booth, and off he goes. He's never getting that back. Sometimes Jesus calls us to lay those things down. If if Jesus isn't the most important thing, I wonder what is in the way. Because these things will stop you. Um, What about your identity? For some, it is around gender and sexuality. And that is the most important thing. This defines who I am above everything else. This is it. This is me. And Jesus says, no, you are who I say you are. I made you in my image, and I want you to know the fullness of life and freedom that comes with that. For some of you, it might be your hurts and your pains, and you think, well, how is that a rich, a richness, a riches? <laughs> but it, it can be. We can turn our hurts and our pains into things that we use for our use. Somebody hurt me. They, they really hurt me. And, and by me telling that story over and over again, gathers people around me that love me and comfort me and make me feel better about myself. Some of us have been leaning on those crutches for years, using those stories over and over and over to make ourselves feel better. And I feel like sometimes Jesus looks at some of us that do that, and he's like, he's not judging us like in a, you bad, bad person. But he's looking at us and he's like, don't you get it that I love you? I see you and I love you. Why are you leaning on that for the love of these people? Why are you not letting go of that and coming into the fullness of the freedom and the hope and the healing and the joy and the peace that I want you to have? And and some people probably listen to this and maybe in the room now, maybe on the podcast, and probably thinking, how dare you say that, Matt? How dare you say, these are my riches, these are my hurts, that's my job, these are my friends, that's my identity, these are my feelings. How dare you tell me that I have to lay them down? But let me tell you, this it's not me telling you that, this is Jesus. And hear this, it's because he loves you, because he sees you and he loves you. And he's saying to you, if you want to inherit eternal life, if you want to inherit this certain characteristic of life, this fullness of life, this love, this joy, this peace, this hope, this freedom, if you want that to be your story, then you need to let go of the things that have been characterizing your life so far so that you can embrace the things that I want to give you, that you can embrace me. The more tightly you hold on to those things, the less you're going to be able to hold on to who I am. Less you're going to be able to hold on to who I am. In Mark 8, verse 34, Chris mentioned this last week. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, then you need to deny yourself and take up your cross. That's not a nice little saying. That means literally die to yourself. All the things that you decide make you you, lay them down and let him make you free. Let him make you whole. Let him make you all the things that he wants to make you. Let those other things die. And coming into land here, guys, this is why I started with verse 13 about the little children. You might think, oh, Matt, yeah, I remember now. You read that. I'd forgotten about that. This is why I started with a bit about the little children. And Jesus says, hey, truly, I tell you, anyone uh, who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. I think we read that, and if you're anything like me, over the years I read that, and I was like, yeah, I totally get that. Like, We need to just be as trusting as little children, right? We need to be as trusting as little children. We need to just run to Jesus and trust him completely like little children do. They just trust you. But I think it's way more than that. I, I don't know if you ever realized this, um, but I hadn't clocked this properly until recently, and, and, and this, is, this is the reality. I think Jesus is saying that. He's saying fully trust me, but I think he's saying more than that. He's actually saying, be like little children, because the reality is, is that at that point in history, little children had nothing. Little children had no rights, none whatsoever. If you were a little child, you were fully reliant upon the head of your household. And whether that person was your father or somebody else, if you're a little child and you upset the head of your household, they were legally allowed To sell you off as a slave or to have you executed. Oh, whoa. That is crazy, isn't it? I mean, it sickens us, right? How could they live like that? But that's the reality. That's the time Jesus is in. And Jesus is saying this. If you want to receive what I have, the kingdom of God, then you need to be like these little children. Yes, you need to trust me. But you actually need to come to me with everything laid down. You've got no rights. You've got no rights. I... Have everything to give you if you just lay everything else down. If you come to me with everything else laid down, you will find in me everything that you need. You notice how the guy says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You don't get to inherit something unless you are a relative of or the child of the person who is dying, right? And if you're that person's child and they've written you in their will, then when they die, you get all the things that belong to them. And this guy's got it perfectly right when he says, what must I do to inherit? Jesus is saying, yep, become my child. Become part of my family. Leave all of the other stuff that defined you before behind. And come and bear my name. Come and be part of me. Come and let me be the head of your household, the head of your life. And if you make me that, you will inherit everything that comes with me. The fullness of life, the hope and the joy. The hope and the joy. I'm going to stop there. I had a few other things to say, but we're running on with time. And, and I, I think, guys, that's his heart for you today. Will you hear that? Today in this place, he looks at you and he sees you and he loves you. But he loves you enough to tell you when there are things in your life that are getting in the way of your relationship with him. Because no matter what you do, no matter what you strive for, no matter how hard you work, you cannot give yourself what God has to give you. Because what God has to give you is who he is. So you need to lay all those other things down. Hear the truth of what he says to you today. Hear the truth of what he says to you today. Lay those things down. And come to him with open arms. Come to him knowing that you have nothing, but he has everything. And he loves you so much that he wants to give you that. He wants to give you the love, the joy, the peace, the forgiveness, the healing, the grace that he lavishly pours out. He wants to give you that. That's what it means to inherit eternal life. To know who he is.